Reading from Mark 3 this morning. Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan, and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard of all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that they all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up to the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanagris, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder the house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Thank you, church, for leading us in a wonderful time of worship this morning. We have a volunteer leader team that joins with you in leading all of our worship before the Lord today. What an awesome, what an awesome privilege it is uh, to join our hearts with the heart of God and lift him up and, and worship him. Um, we're in Mark chapter 3, as you saw earlier, as we uh, were able to share together in reading the scripture. Uh, today we're looking at the fact that Jesus brings a new way of looking at family. And I don't know that there's ever been a more important day and a more important 
uh, message that God has to share with us through his word today. And so keep your Bible open to Mark chapter 3 as we kind of move through this passage. I think you would agree with me that that family uh, is a crucial institution in human existence. Uh, According to God's design, individuals are made to thrive best in the nurturing love and care and encouragement of a family system with a man who leads the family under the authority of God and a wife who loves God and loves her husband who would give his life for her. And if God blesses children who are raised to know God and to love God and obey their parents in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Uh, We see that uh, prescription laid out clearly in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And I would encourage you to dive in and look some this week at at God's plan for uh, family. In, In God's plan, family is a relationship where the values of God-centered love, faith, knowledge, wisdom, God-centered respect and discipline and integrity and encouragement, God-centered nurturing and acceptance all thrive. So let me ask you, does that sound like families around you today as you look across the landscape of the Grand Strand or wherever you may live? In our North American culture, the family is under severe attack. And sadly, we're struggling to even vaguely survive, much less thrive in this environment. Uh, You've heard this week debates in our current society over gender issues and orientation issues and supremacy issues and equality issues, and environmental and energy issues, and so forth. All of these issues, it seems to me, totally avoid the main thing, the main issue. Where is God in all of these conversations? Where is God as we hear about the struggles that are going on with these issues in the culture we live in today. So you can have the most elaborate, most beautiful house in the world. But what happens if the foundation crashes? The foundation gives way and crumbles. Well, when the light and warmth of the God-ordained family institution burns low, darkness and despair cover that part of the world. But I want you to know today that there's good news. There's very good news. A return to God's standard gives us hope. That's what Jesus came to usher in when he came into this world 2,000 years ago. He came to bring us hope. He came to take the same world with the same symptoms, maybe different causes, but the same symptoms, And turn this upside-down world back right-side up. Jesus grew up in a normal family environment. Uh, He had brothers and sisters that he interacted with. And then at age 30, he entered 
a season of life where he began to preach repentance and where he began to preach a return to the integrity of life as God originally created it. It was a new day when Jesus launched on the scene. He was launching a public ministry that ushered in, as Mark's gospel tells us in chapter 1, ushered in the kingdom of God. And that's where we live today. That's why we have hope today. Because Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege of living in the environment that Jesus created under the authority that Jesus instituted. So in Mark chapter 3, last week we looked at the first six verses to close out our message. In verses 7 through 35 of Mark chapter 3, Jesus introduced God's way of thinking and living in the area of family matters. And so we have to talk about it today. We have to talk about this scripture passage in the context of how Jesus brought in a new day and a new way of thinking about family matters. You heard it read before, but this passage of scripture has for us four ways to understand the family through the life of Jesus. And so let's just look at them. First of all, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 7, we see that family refuge can be comforting. Family refuge can be comforting. In verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia. And from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. So we have this picture after healing the man with the withered hand in the first six verses of chapter 3 where we have that story recorded last week. The life of Jesus was threatened. Jesus was in danger. Misinformed and jealous religious leaders and governmental officials wanted Jesus dead because he threatened their way of life. And Jesus knew that his time for sacrificing his life had not yet arrived. And so his mission had not been completed. And he understood that in order to survive and not be killed in that environment, he headed back home for refuge. Word spread, though, that, that, that Jesus had returned to the area of Capernaum around the Sea of Galilee, and, and quickly the, the crowd began to grow again. So when he arrived home, people from all over the Middle Eastern region, all over the region, gathered. In fact, this may have been the biggest crowd that Jesus had seen in his lifetime so far. There were sick people that came wanting to be healed. So look at verse 9. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, and all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Do you see the picture here? This crowd grew out of control. And so Jesus took precautions to protect himself. You know anything about that? in our culture today. Uh, I wonder what measures are appropriate in maintaining safety in our lives today. See, Jesus understood that his mission was not yet complete. 
And so he created precautions. And for him, it was asking his disciples to have a boat ready for him to step offshore and get away from the crowd so that they would not crush him. Jesus protected himself from a well-meaning crowd that was desperate for help. Verse 11 tells us that whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So, just like today, in Jesus' day, there were forces who were constantly around wanting to invade the lives of people, all people, to cause pain and to cause them to commit evil and turn their backs on the very purpose that God created them for. The Bible calls these, in this instance, unclean spirits. Unclean spirits did not want people to be well. Unclean spirits did not want people to be healthy. Unclean spirits did not want people to be stable-minded. And so they stirred up trouble. But it's interesting to me that these were the ones who recognized who Jesus was. They gave him credit for being who he was. They gave him credit for being the Son of God. But Jesus pointed out to us that these evil spirits had no power over him. They had no authority over him. They recognized him, but they had no authority over him. And he ordered them not to disclose who he was, and they obeyed his order. Now, I don't know what kind of evil tempts you today. I don't know what kind of specific challenges you have that come from evil forces in your life. But I do know this. The closer you walk with Jesus, the more you will be tempted. But the more you're tempted, the more power Jesus wants to give you to overcome that temptation. That's the way being in his family works. Notice in verse 7 that Jesus withdrew with his disciples, with the disciples. These men who were following Jesus and crowds of people who chose to identify with Jesus are becoming his new family. See, family was important to Jesus. And people who chose to be willing to leave everything to follow Jesus quickly became his family. So let me ask you, does that include you today? Have you chosen to leave every other priority of this world that would take precedence over Jesus, leave that behind in order to follow him? See, leaving old ways of earning a living and leaving old ways of treating people and leaving old ways of worshiping God and leaving old ways of building a future opened the eyes of these followers of Jesus to become part of his family. And that can be true for you today as well. This extended family became a constant refuge for Jesus and Jesus became a comfort a constant refuge for them. That's what being in the family of God does for us. It gives us a, a safety net. It gives us a refuge to go. An extended family 
like a church can become an incredible refuge today for those who might be struggling in this world. See, making all of life about Jesus within the church family can bring new color and new adventure to every life. And, and that's what I would love to see around Palmetto Shores. That's what I'd love to see around every gospel teaching church in the kingdom of God. Where we draw so close to Jesus together that we become family. We become closer than brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. But don't forget in the midst of this context, in the midst of Jesus with his disciples, doing ministry with his disciples, the evil spirits were there to haunt the lives of people who were following around Jesus. But evil spirits that haunt lives can be silenced by the power of Jesus. And that's what I pray will happen to those who identify with our church community. That's a huge part of the potential of this church. But that, that's not all this passage teaches us about family. There's a second way to understand family through the life of Jesus. In verses 13 to 19, we see that family authority can be encouraging. Can be encouraging. In verse 13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and to have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus purposefully chose twelve men to be his family, his apostles. We have no idea why Jesus chose these twelve men and singled them out from the crowds of people who many were faithful in wanting to follow Jesus. But we do know this. Jesus called them, although we don't know much about some of them. We know a lot about others of them. Some of them were married. Some of them were not. But Jesus called them by name, and they chose to follow him. I believe that Jesus is calling some people today in this room, some to know him. You've never committed your life to him. Some to step out of the shell that you built around yourself and begin to be used by him like these men chose to allow Jesus to use them. See, all these men had one thing in common. Jesus called them, and they obediently followed, even Judas. These 12 men spent most of their lives in the next three years living with Jesus and following Jesus. He taught them by allowing them to observe him teaching. He also 
gave them special gifts of teaching. He even gave them special gifts of exercising demons. And Jesus set a perfect example for these followers to follow. You know, Jesus will do the same thing for you today as well. If he's called you to know him, then he's given you a gift. And your gift is important to the family of God. And your, your gift is important to the kingdom of God. And as you allow Jesus to be your model and set the standard for your life, and as you devote yourself to obeying and following him, you can be used by God to advance the gospel just exactly like these 12 men. Allow God to use them. Jesus had different methods, different ways of teaching. Sometimes he taught people one-on-one -on -one out of this crowd. Sometimes he taught them in smaller groups like twos or threes. Sometimes he taught the larger group of 12. Sometimes he taught crowds of people. Jesus had different methods to use in teaching and preaching and discipling. And he wants to use you maybe in some of those same kind of ways. Maybe he has one person that he wants you to lead in life to come to know Christ and to know how to follow him. Maybe you can be a part of a, a smaller group of two or three people who can hold each other accountable, care about each other, love each other. Maybe you can be in a, in a larger group that we call bridge groups where you do life together and draw strength from one another. But just as Jesus was intentional, just like he was specific and who he called to follow him, you and I have the opportunity to do the same thing and be specific about people we spend most of our time with. These apostles became a tight-knit family that found encouragement in living life together with Jesus. They obediently followed his model in, in, in preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus. And they obediently did effective ministry under the authority of Jesus. You, you and I have that same opportunity today. For, for years, some of you know, I've had a picture of what discipleship looks like at Palmetto Shores Church. That picture is, you know, I hold the hand of Jesus and you hold the hand of Jesus as he pulls you up uh, out of the pit that you might be in. And as he's pulling you up, you reach down and you grab the hand of somebody else that he lays on your heart, that he puts in your life. So as he's pulling you up, you can pull them up. And then as you pull them up to where you are, then you find somebody else and they find somebody else where that same process can be repeated over and over and over again. Life is all about connecting with Jesus and allowing him to pull us up out of the pit as we connect with other people and allow him to pull them up out of the pit. That's the way discipleship worked for Jesus and the first apostles, and that's the way it will work for you and me as well. Knowing Jesus and making all of life about him is part of that picture. Making disciples who make disciples is part of that picture. Valuing relationship and God's truth and humility and leadership is a part of that picture. 
So let me ask you, how, how are you making connections with Jesus to connect with other people so that we all might be pulled up out of this pit of despair that looms in our world today? The, the, the secret, the answer is what we've sung about so beautifully today. The, the secret is giving all to Jesus and worth to Jesus and knowing Jesus and following him. Community with Jesus and other disciples in God's family is certainly encouraging. And do you need encouragement today? Well, Jesus provides that source of encouragement for you and me. Once again, I believe that some of you are here and Jesus call you for the first time today. Don't put it off. Trust him. Let him pick you up out of the pit and put you on solid ground today. He wants to lift you up. He wants to invest in you. He wants to give you a unique gift that you can use for his glory and for building up his church. He wants to encourage you as you encourage other people in our walk with Jesus. He wants communion. That means to be one with every member of his family today. And I trust and pray that that involves you. You can be part of the special family of Jesus. And listen, there is no greater privilege in the world than that. No, no greater privilege in the world than to be one with Jesus and to be part of his family. But there's a third way to understand family through the life of Jesus straight out of this passage. And we see that in verses 20 to 30. Family ministry can be misunderstood. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that, that everybody's not going to understand why you choose to sell your life out to, to Jesus Christ. To let Jesus maximize his influence in your life so that you can influence the lives of other people. Verse 20 says, then he went home. And the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Has anybody accused you of being out of your mind for following Jesus recently? If not, why not? If I follow Jesus to the degree that he is number one in my life and I'm under the command of his voice and I'm living a life that's transparently, openly, authentically in a walk with him, people are going to misunderstand. You know what the word fanatic means? You know what a fan is. You go to a ball game and, you know, you're, you're fans. When something good happens, you jump up and you cheer. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a fan. That's being a fanatic. I love it. I love it when somebody calls me a, a fanatic for Jesus. But that's what the very family of Jesus were calling him. They were calling him a being out of his mind, a fanatic. 
Verse 22, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of the demons he cast out demons, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided... He cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Now, Jesus looked at his accusers, his Pharisee enemies, and he said to them, Can you see how stupid your argument is <laughs> to blame me for, being, for receiving my power from Satan when I'm doing everything I can to defeat Satan? That is just totally illogical. Now, I know we don't have any illogical people in our world today who, you know, act crazy like that. But Jesus, I mean, he just turned their argument on them. He turned their argument on them and he said, this is crazy to say that my power is coming from Satan when I'm doing everything I can to defeat Satan. So he turns to another analogy. He says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. But whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Now two things right here. Number one, back in verse 27 when he talks about binding the strong man. See, Jesus, Jesus was talking in the parable here. And if you really want to know what he's talking about, if you really want to know what he's talking about, go read Revelation, especially Revelation chapter 20 and 21, where the strong man, the prince of the power of this world, Satan, is bound and cast into the eternal pit. They didn't get it, but that's exactly what Jesus was talking about here. But then he makes a point that's relevant for every single person here today and every single person on planet Earth. It's a dangerous thing to reject Jesus. These religious leaders, in putting Jesus down were actually committing the only unpardonable sin, and that is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit of God is knocking on your heart's door right now and saying, Jesus has a message for you. Many of you have responded and invited Jesus to come into your life. And you don't have to worry about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in your life because you've not rejected Jesus, you've accepted Jesus. But if you're here today and you have never repented of your sin, admitted that you're a sinner, turned away from your sin and turned to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is knocking at your heart's door and calling you to trust Jesus, every time you reject Him, you're coming really close to stepping right up to the edge of hell and diving in. Because to reject Jesus Christ... When the Holy Spirit is calling you to receive Jesus Christ and repent of your sin and give your life to Jesus, 
is blaspheming the Holy Spirit of God, and that is the unforgivable sin. After walking back down the mountainside, though, returning to his house, back up to verse 20, after appointing his apostles, Jesus returned home. Home's supposed to be a safe place. Home's supposed to be a place of refuge. It's supposed to be a place where you feel comfortable. But as, as people crowded around Jesus at his home, the, the misunderstanding continued to grow. And misunderstanding Jesus, as I said, can be a dangerous thing. See, it had been more than 30 years since Mary had received the special revelation from God that he had chosen her to bear the Christ child, to bring Jesus into the world, that he would be... Now, Mary surely hadn't forgotten that, but it had been 30 years. It had been a long time since she had had that experience of hearing that Jesus was going to be somebody extraordinarily special, that God had chosen her to bear the Christ child, that... God had chosen her to bear the, the Messiah who would save his people from their sins. And the little we know about the childhood and teenage years of Jesus indicate that, that the upbringing of Jesus was fairly normal. I mean, he had brothers and sisters that he interacted with. He had a mom and dad that he learned to obey. And he did nothing to commit evil or sin as he was growing up, but his brothers and sisters looked at him just like one of them, just like a, a normal child. And so when Jesus launched his public ministry and he started doing things like healing people and raising people from the dead and um, casting out evil spirits, his own family didn't understand. In fact, they... They tried to rescue him from his mission. Obviously, the religious leaders misunderstood who Jesus was. They accused him of being Satan. And in the minds of these religious leaders, they had so much misinformation that they missed the very presence of God among them. I hope you're aware that the Spirit of God is working in this place today. The Bible says where two or more are gathered together. Jesus said, I'm in the midst of that gathering. Jesus is here today. And I pray that you will not misunderstand the fact that He wants to bring you into His family. He wants you to be part of a witness to the world about what family looks like and what family can be in a dark and dying world. Well, these religious leaders sure didn't get it. Even after he logically proved that his power couldn't possibly have come from Satan, they committed that unpardonable sin. They, they rejected him. Don't make the same mistake today. If Jesus is knocking at your heart's door about anything, invite him in. <laughs> Agree with him. Say yes to his Holy Spirit. Jesus' mother and siblings initially misunderstood, but they, they grew to accept him. They grew to understand who he was after his resurrection. They became fully committed to him, even to the point of, of death. 
And if you've never trusted him, let me encourage you to trust him today. But now remember, Satan, evil forces are masters of deception. They want to lead you to believe that you're okay. They want to lead you to believe that life is okay without Jesus. They want to lead you to believe that you can keep living like you're living and not even worry about, you know, following Jesus. They will create confusion in your life about how much God loves you and how much He wants to wrap His arms around you, how much He cares for you, how much He wants to nurture you by putting you in a family of His children who care as much about you as they do about Him. And Satan wants to throw confusion into all that and say there's a better way. I mean, you know, just you know, live life to the fullest. fullest. Don't worry about this religious stuff. I hope you understand that everything in your life happens so that God can draw you close to Him. Yesterday, my wife's nephew's wife breathed her last breath on this earth, under 40 years old, battling cancer. And she won the victory over cancer when she passed from this life into eternity because if anyone ever knew Jesus... She knew Jesus, and she walked with him. We actually were able to pray with her face-to-face yesterday through FaceTime, and you could see Jesus all over her face. That's what being part of the family of God is all about. It's about caring about people who care about the same thing you care about. But the prince of demons wants to lure you away from God and create confusion in every area of your life and say, why would God allow one of his children to die like that? And that's coming straight from the enemy. That's coming straight from hell. Because just the opposite is true when you know Jesus and when you know you're going to walk with him throughout eternity. Please understand today that Jesus loves you unconditionally. He sacrificed his blood to pay your sin debt. And not only can you come to Jesus and be part of his family, but you can lead your family and your friends to follow you in making all of life about Jesus. That's the beauty of being part of this new idea of family that Jesus introduced. But there's a fourth way and a final way this morning to understand family through the life of Jesus. Family relationship can have ultimate value. It really can. In verse 31, his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, where are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my brother, mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
a new way of doing family. Obviously, Jesus loved his family. In fact, in, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, this same hometown synagogue set of leaders questioned the identity of Jesus by actually naming his brothers and mentioning his sisters and brothers as children of Joseph and Mary. They watched him grow up in, in the community. Two of his brothers, James and Jude, wrote letters after the resurrection of Jesus that are part of your New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament. James and Jude were brothers of Jesus. But Jesus established a principle in this part of his life that is it's really incredible. And I pray we won't miss it today. Members of the household of faith must be treated with special privilege equal to brothers and sisters and parents in our biological family. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. One of the highest privileges in the world should be that every member of a church like Palmetto Shores treats every other member better than we treat our biological family members. So what is God saying to us today about following the example of Jesus? He's saying that you can be a family member today of Jesus. And when you become a family member of Jesus, that makes you a brother and a sister and a mother and a father of those that are part of the household of faith, the church today. The word church in Greek is the word ekklesia, and I know I'm coming to a close here now, but the word ekklesia simply means called out ones. What did Jesus do when he went up on the mountain to the 12 apostles? He called them to be his apostle. Ekklesia, you are the called out ones. You are the church today. When you trust Jesus and you bind your life in a binding relationship with a church like Palmetto Shores. Doing the will of God, verse 35, doing the will of God is what makes you a family member. And doing the will of God starts by not only believing facts about Jesus, but putting your faith, putting your life in the life of Jesus. Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it's hopeless, isn't it? It seems that way if we're all sinners and sin separates us from God. It's hopeless, but no, that's not the end of the story. There's good news. The good news is, the Bible says in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? 
saved from doom and de despair and hell. That's a good deal. Believe in your heart, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes and is justified, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What does salvation mean? It means that you're out of the danger zone. You're not guilty of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit of God. You're one with Christ, and you're one with the household of faith. Those who know Christ and follow Him in the context of those called out to be part of the church. Oh, how long for the day for our church to truly be family. And it can be. It can start today when we love Jesus with all of our heart and love each other like we love Jesus and like we love one another. There's ultimate value in being part of Jesus' family. It is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of heaven and hell. So two things as we prepare for communion this morning. And we're going to share together communion. The word means one in union with Jesus. That's why we obey him in following with participating with communion. But two things before that. Number one, authentic family relationship means to know Trust, follow, and obey Jesus. Love your biological family. You should. But do not fall into the trap of idolizing them. Do not fall into the trap of putting family above your relationship with God and the household of faith. The most important thing parents can teach their adult children is that it's better to detach from depending on biological family and attach to loving and obeying and following and knowing God than anything in this world. A parent's responsibility is not to take care of kids to their death. <laughs> Responsibility of parents is to teach children to connect with God and know Him and follow Him and make all of life about Jesus. Secondly, Jesus invites you to communion with Him today, and that's what we're going to do. I want to invite you to take your communion packet that's in your seat next to you and there are two tabs. There's a cellophane tab on the top. I'd like to ask you to pull off the cellophane tab and take the bread out and hold it in your hand. Take the bread out and hold it in your hand. And hold the cup in your other hand. Jesus instituted communion, the Lord's Supper, the night before he was crucified. And his purpose for doing that was so that we might have a symbol that we could refer to to remind us of how much he loves us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus before we take communion this morning, I want to invite you to let today be the day when you admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus came and lived a life. That's what the bread represents. He came and lived a perfect life. 
so that as the cup represents, he, he might shed his blood to pay the price for the penalty of your sin. So Father, I pray as we prepare our hearts to engage in obedient, obediently following you in communion this morning, that we would trust you with all of our life. Come into our heart, come into our life, and change us as we repent of our sin and turn to you and make all of our life, help us to make all of our life about you today. God, seal that commitment in our life now as we obediently follow you in communion. As they were eating, Mark chapter 14, verse 22, these same 12 apostles that Jesus went up on that mountain and called, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to them and he said, take, this is my body. Lord, we take in Jesus' name. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all, and they drank, they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again until the fruit of the vine, of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. God, thank you that you cared enough about us to give your life, sacrifice your life, to allow your blood to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. And as we drink this cup, we remember you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said before, yesterday, one of our family members left life on this earth and joined with Jesus in heaven and others who had gone before her. Friday night, I heard that one of my friends for more than 20 years, my age, passed from this life into eternity this afternoon at 3 o'clock. I'm doing a funeral over in Conway. I mean, you're not guaranteed another minute. So I want to say to you again, don't be like Judas. Don't hear what Jesus said and then reject what Jesus said and betray him. But trust him with all of your life today. And when you do, you become part of the family of God. And when you become part of the, part of the, part of the family of God, then it's time to celebrate. And so, like Jesus said to the disciples, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out. We're going to join together now. We're going to continue to worship by singing, and then we're going to go out. We're going to go out to be a part of changing the world, just like uh, the, the apostles of Jesus, uh, the 11 who were faithful to, to, to following him and knowing him and living for him, went out and, and changed the world. We have the gospel today because of their faithfulness. And my prayer for you and me today is that there will be many, there will be many, today who will come to know Jesus because of our witness as we go out to worship and to celebrate him this coming week as God allows us to breathe and live as well. So let's stand together and let's continue to worship.